You're listening to the Chancellor Pink Podcast on Chancellor Pink Radio. Quick podcast, and by quick, I mean very. Like 10 minutes, maybe this will take me, maybe five. Pitt finally got ranked 25th. A joke, but hey, they got ranked. Hell, if they were seeded according to their AP ranking, they would be the first seven seed right now, which would be great. I actually think they deserve a six seed right now um, by virtue of all the games they've played and won and uh, my read on the team. I think that they uh, should be shooting for as high as a two if they win out. They should really climb here. But given the reality of the situation as it currently stands, I'm willing to accept uh, a six seed right now. Again, I, I really think they should be a four. Virginia right now is a uh, – Lenardi just came out with his new bracket. He has them down to a four. He had them at three. Now he has them at four. That should be Pitt. I mean, we beat Virginia. We're uh, leading the conference, and we have a resume that's, in my opinion, just as good. I know that they have some more quad one games than us, but, again, you have to watch the games. This is the part about the net and the quads that I already went on about, about why it's invalid, because the quads – are based on the nets, and the nets are way too effective by scoring margin. I see a lot of people saying, oh, the, the, you know, there should be recency bias, that games played at the beginning shouldn't count as much as now, but the reality is uh, that matters less than you think. I mean, I agree with it. I think games, I think the team should be credited for improving and, and, and who they are currently closer to the time of the tournament, but... I think it's what people are missing here is the point margin. They don't understand how significant it, it is. There are only, and, and it's because they really have never looked. Nobody's really, nobody, there are all kinds of people online talking about the net, including people pre- supporting it and pretending they know all about it. But they're not talking about the factors and the calculations, okay, which I did in my prior uh, uh, podcast on the net that's about an hour long. I know it's a long listen, but check it out. But the net is calculated. They, they started with five factors. They reduced it after only two years, proving the net is fucked. They reduced it to only two because it wasn't working. It stunk. So in 2020, after only two years of using it, they reduced it to two. The two are team value index, which is an RPI, except that it also accounts for home and away and neutral, which RPI never did. Um, at least it didn't at first. They then altered the RPI too before doing away with it to include uh, the venue. But so it's RPI, which is teams, you know, strength of schedule and your team's opponent's opponent's strength of schedule and venue. And so you get a calculation to value that. Then the second factor and the only other factor used currently in the net calculation is net efficiency, which is Offensive efficiency of a team minus defensive efficiency. And the calculations are total number of points by a team minus total number of possessions. And then you get an offensive efficiency number. And then the defensive efficiency number is the total amount of points given up to the other team. And then total number of possessions of the other team. You subtract the possessions from the points. You get a defensive efficiency number. And the net efficiency number is then offense, offensive efficiency minus defensive efficiency. That's a net efficiency number. Now, what we don't know, what we don't know 
in the calculation of the net is how are they uh, how are they partitioning uh, credit for those two factors? How much of the net goes to team value index and how much of the net goes to net efficiency? They don't tell us. We don't know. Uh, it should be very little to net efficiency. Why? Because those stats, <laughs> if you look at what it is to get total number of possessions, it's like possessions minus turnovers plus plus uh, re- offensive rebounds. Or no, it's minus offensive rebounds and plus turnovers then 0.475 times free throws. And you, and you do that, cal- <laughs> it's just, when, when you understand what offensive and defensive efficiency are, they're interesting uh, uh, factoid numbers. They're great for nerds, but they have very little bearing on the quality of a team. And in particular, when you're talking about offensive efficiency, you're talking about points. And when you're talking about, you know, that's points scored. It's, it's absolutely a gigantic factor of offensive efficiency. Why? Because the final number is points scored minus possessions. And conversely, defensive efficiency is all about points given up. So the final, final number, the final defensive efficiency number is points allowed minus possessions. So points is everything. And then your final net efficiency number is offensive minus, minus defensive, both of, which, both of which have been completely dependent on points scored and points allowed. So what does that tell you? On a game-by-game basis, obviously, point differential is gigantically important in the calculation of net efficiency. Not only that, it's unlimited. Now, why that's interesting. When the NCAA first created the net, one of the five factors was scoring margin. Now, although they created scoring margin as a factor and put it into the equation of the final of a net figure, they limited it. They limited it to a 10-point margin. The NCAA said scoring margin, however, capped at 10 points. So if you beat a team, they recognized themselves that scoring margin really didn't matter that much. It really doesn't matter so much. There are all kinds of instances where you can pour it on and have a big margin, and it doesn't really mean that it was a, you're a better team. There are other instances where it's a close game, and it doesn't mean that the other team is as good as you. There are instances where there's a blowout by a, a team that's clearly worse than you. Because of any number of factors. And we, anybody that's watched their share and understands college hoops knows that scoring margin of all the sports where scoring margin really doesn't matter. After baseball. First, it's baseball. Because in a given game, you could lose 7-1, to 15-1. to one. It, it's, it's a game. You know, and the overall scoring margin, terrible teams have a really small scoring difference a lot. They lose the close games. They're still a really bad team. Just because your scoring margin's down doesn't mean, hey, they're a good team. No, no, they're bad with a low scoring margin, <laughs> but they're bad, you know. So, again, scoring margin is really not a good way to look at baseball teams' quality at all. And it's the next team on the list that I think it's really almost worthless is, is college hoops uh, because there are so many ways and reasons why games end uh, by more of a point spread or less. And it really, all you have to do is watch a handful of college games and you can tell that oftentimes the final score and the spread is not indicative of the game. Plus, especially in college hoops, it's not like football where you only have 10 opponents 
And, you know, each game, the scoring margins needs to be weighted heavily because the scoring margin is all you got. You only have 10 games to look at. You got to look at something, right? So if one team beats another by a ton, we're going to have to weight that because, you know, we need to we need to build some stats up here. There's not enough stats. Well, basketball, teams play, what, 20 games in conference and 10 games out of conference. They play enough games. And how big you win and how big you lose in a given confrontation, it's not necessarily very – it doesn't really tell you the story. In fact, I would say with college basketball, nine times out of ten, the scoring differential doesn't really tell any story at all if you watch the game, if you watch the game. And I think here's another big reason scoring margin weighting it is dumb in college basketball. You just watched a game like Florida State and Miami. Florida State has the last possession, you think. Guy hits a three, gives them a two-point lead. They're celebrating. Florida State, there's four seconds left or so. Florida State inbounds the ball while Miami's just so happy thinking they're going to win. He dribble it down the court, throw up a shot. They hit the three. They win by one point. Now, they won the game and they earned that win. But the point differential is a joke, really, when you think about it. Because it doesn't matter who won by what. It matters who won. And that's the key in college hoops. You don't really, there's so many games that come down to the last shot. And look, it can be between a good team and a bad team, or two teams that are even, or two teams that are evenly bad. The winner is the key. In college hoops, it's all about hitting that shot at the end of the game and winning the game, or fouling someone and can they hit their free throws. How many games have you seen in college hoops that were close, but let's say within four or five points? But there's only 30 seconds left, and they start fouling. They need to foul them. Why? Because they need them to miss their free throws and go down and hit a three and then foul them again. They need to come back. Well, what happens with a five-point win? It could turn into a 12-point win or a 13-point win. Why? Because of fouls. But in reality, it was a five-point win or a four-point win. But it comes out looking like a bigger win because you're fouling a team and putting them to a line to try to come back. When there's under a minute left. So, look, I could go on and on and on, and so could you, with examples as to why scoring margin in college hoops is really doesn't say shit about who's the better team. It really doesn't. It very rarely does. You know, and 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 if another team stomps on a given team in a given day, that's nice. Good for them. Good for them. But look. It shouldn't affect their overall team rating. Clemson, you know, goes into North Carolina State. They won by 25. They went from a 74 net to a 58 in one, in one day because of a game outcome, because of scoring margin and other factors of teams above them, sure. I mean, I understand that the change in net is relative to other teams as well. But the point is there's no way they got a 16-point jump that wasn't based primarily on their game outcome. And absolutely, the reason was the point differential combined with the location being on the road and combined with the fact that it was a quad one win. I mean, it was a team that was, when you beat them on a road, it was quad one. But that's way too much. At this point in the season, after all the data that's built up through the season, to credit that win that much is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And the reason it happens is because scoring margin is built into one of only two factors. 
To get back to my original, original point, they did away with scoring margin. When they changed the net in 2020, they eliminated scoring margin. Now, here's the point. When they created scoring margin, they capped it at 10 points. But they did away with it. Why? Because they were double counting it. Because net efficiency already, in, already considers scoring margin. By definition, the definition of efficiency, the way that it is calculated, absolutely accounts for scoring margin. And guess what? It doesn't cap it. There's no cap. The bigger you win, the better your net efficiency number is. The bigger that net efficiency number is, the bigger your net score will be for that game. Now, to what degree does net efficiency add up to be your net number? We don't know. Is it 50-50? We don't know. Is a team value index 50% of your net score? Let's just talk per game. Is your team value index 50% and then your net efficiency is the other half? We don't know. It, I think it's something like that. I think they're giving way, way, way too much credit to net efficiency. I think that the stat of net efficiency should be pushed down to 10%. I think they should go with the KPI, which is a stepped-up uh, RPI, which does include margin of victory to some extent. You'd have to talk to Kevin, whatever his name is, the I think it's Michigan State uh, student teacher or whatever he was who created that to what extent it includes scoring margin. But I do believe the KPI does include scoring margin to some extent. I would just use that and I would throw out, of, I would just use the KPI, you know, and just throw out this efficiency shit that they're doing in the net. But the bottom line is, it's clear, it is clear that scoring margin is mattering way, way, way too much to these net figures. Way too much. And everyone agrees with it. Go, go, go search for a Sports Illustrated article from December of last year, 2022. It talks about the, the reveal of the net, the first net on December 4th of last year, first time we saw the net. And it talks about who's doing really good in the net and who's doing bad. And it talks about Louisville doing so awful and getting blown out by so many teams from other conferences. Well, what did that do? It destroyed the ACC standing by virtue of the net, but also it, it destroyed Louisville's net but they went on to say the teams that were rated the highest in the first reveal of the net, they, they got high by virtue of their blowout wins. And they state in the article, because the net values scoring margin built in to net efficiency. So that's what's going on here. We are seeing scoring margin have way too much of a weighted impact on net scores. And Pitt, for example, this year, uh, lost a couple bad games but prior to the first reveal of the net. Uh, they lost uh, big to Michigan and uh, to West Virginia. But the West Virginia loss, as of right now, is a quad one loss at home for Pitt. It's a quad one loss. And the loss on a neutral site to Michigan was a quad two loss. So they aren't in and of themselves bad losses. It's the scoring margin that really gutted Pitt. Then, meanwhile, they go on the road and they win by a 29 scoring margin at Northwestern. And they also went on the road at North Carolina State. But they come into the net at 80. Now, it's anybody's guess what the starting basis is when they're calculating the net. Is it zero? How can it be? What is the team value index when both teams have zero strength of schedule? When both teams have their opponents' opponents have zero? What's the value? All you have is the location and the winner in those first games. That's all you have. 
So what's the team value index there? Sure, you can calculate uh, an offensive and defensive efficiency in that first game for each team, and you can score their net score by that alone. But then what are you doing? Those first few games, when the data isn't there to understand team value index, the net scores of those teams are almost solely net efficiency, which means those early games are gigantically impacted by score differential. And it takes a while until the numbers start to balance out and you actually get a handle on strength of schedule because you see where the teams are winning and losing more. However, Ken Palm, for example, he steps up his basis. He starts his calculations with preseason rankings. He admits to a bias built into his calculations. They are the preseason rankings because he needs numbers to start from somewhere. He doesn't start at zero and let the efficiency override everything at first and then let it wash out and balance out over time, allegedly balance out over time. No. So I don't know what the net does. Does the net start at a zero basis? We don't, I don't know. I can't find an answer. They ain't talking while the flavor lasts. Also, we don't know how much are they weighting these two factors, how much, how much of the net score each game is based on net efficiency and how much of it is based on team value index. We don't know. We don't know. But we do know this. Way, way, way too much is based on net efficiency because we see, even at this point in the season, the more you score, the bigger you move in the net. The more you get blown out, the bigger you drop in the net. Margin of victory counts too much. It counts too much, and, and it's the biggest problem with the net. And they had an idea when they started the net, you got a cap margin of victory. So they admitted their own behavior, the NCAAs, in creating a separate category for scoring margin, but capping it proves that they understood that it shouldn't be an end-all, be-all important figure. Then they did away with it, proving again that it wasn't something they wanted to separately weight as an additional factor. Probably because they went, duh, we're already including it. We're already including it by net efficiency. Why are we including it again? You know, but what net efficiency doesn't do is cap it. How do you cap it? Make net efficiency worth 10, 15% of the net score. That's how you cap it. You cap it by diminishing its freaking significance. And again, I do not believe that a team's offensive or defensive efficiency relates to how good of a team they are, not on the course, in the course of a season. You know what does? Wins and losses. You know what matters most? Who did you beat? How many wins you got? And are any of them any good? Who did you play? Who did you beat? That used to be the number one question for seeding the NCAA tournament. Got to beat some good teams. So if you're a smaller school, they had a hard time getting in because they couldn't get games against the good teams. And if they played them, they couldn't win. So it's like, well, how do they get in aside from, you know, automatic qualifiers? How, how can we rate? And they created this net to help them out. So now they got the offensive and defensive efficiency in each game and a scoring margin waiting a lot. And what does that do? It helps a team that otherwise is, you know, has a weak uh, strength of schedule and isn't playing anybody. It helps their net score go up. And that's how you have teams like Liberty and, and, and Oral Roberts and College of Charleston with net scores higher than Pitt right now. And you look at their quad one wins and they stab none or one, but they're higher than Pitt. Why? Because of scoring margin. Because they blew more teams out than Pitt. They played a couple tough teams. They lost them. And, you know, and, uh, or, or they won in a close game. And, hey, that's good. That, that'll, that's their one a quad one win or whatever. But overall, how do they get their score up there where they're higher than Pitt? 
Well, while Pitt's winning games by one point or two points, they're winning them by 15 or 20. Each cupcake win helps them out more and more and more. Climb their way up to where they're suddenly at a place they don't belong. They don't belong there. So I would eliminate the net altogether. I would use the KPI. That's my favorite index. You know, I think it's close to good enough. I mean, I don't think Pitt is high enough in that either by, by the virtue of my eyes. They are, I think they're 37 today in the KPI, but it's a lot closer to reality than the net. And also, what I wanted to say in this podcast that's already gone to 20 minutes, I apologize, but this is just an important subject, I think. I think because we were like babies in the womb at Pitt. Pitt, we were not, we were not dealing with the net and, and, and the uh, quads because Pitt sucked, right? Pitt has sucked for like, what, six years now. So they just made the net up. They just, this is all new shit. They just created this shit in 2018, okay? So those of us who are Pitt fans, we weren't really paying much attention to it. I paid a little bit. I looked into it. I liked it. I like college basketball, so I looked into it. But I didn't suffer through it because it wasn't my team's ass on the line and their seating on the line. So this is the first time we're coming out. We're saying, oh, wait a minute. What's this net thing? What, what's this with quad wins? And guess what? You delve into it and you realize it's a very flawed system is what it is. It's an extremely flawed way to evaluate teams is what it is. It was just revised two years ago is what it is after only existing for two years. And it's going to be revised again, believe me. And if not revised, it might just be scrapped, believe me. This is an ongoing, evolving, crappy method to evaluate teams for the tournament. That's what's going on here. And in particular... I'll end with this. I see people online, local media types, Alan Saunders and others, who always like to position themselves as intellectually superior to the fans. And that's fine. That's media, man. You got to deal with it as it comes. They always know more than the fans, especially in this town. They love to use the Yinzer thing and the Homer thing. And they know more than you, even when the fans have degrees up the yin-yang and no math better than them and anything else. doesn't matter. As long as you're supporting your team, you're a homer and you're a yinzer, and they'll shoot down the credibility of whatever argument you present. No matter how right you are, they'll call you wrong because unlike them, you aren't objective. You're, they're completely objective, and they're just doing their job as they root for their team, who isn't Pitt, by the way. But <laughs> I have uh, intensely watched College Hoops for 43 years. As a 14-year-old young man that came back to Pittsburgh, got into pit hoops big time on the heels of Super Bowl win for number four for the Steelers, World Series for the Pirates. was very hepped up to sports, moving back into my hometown where I had lived till I was nine years old. was a big Pirates fan back when I was a boy, et cetera. Steelers started winning Super Bowls right when we moved away for four years. I come back into it 1979, August. Boom. Got to go to a World Series. Got to enjoy a fourth Super Bowl. I loved sports. I turned into, I, I like basketball. I always played it as a kid growing up. It was a pretty good shot, but couldn't dribble well with the ball. Not fast. Not athletic enough to really be a, a mover and a shaker on the court. But it was a good shot, you know. And like I liked the sport. And so I started watching pit hoops and saw them. I've stayed a tremendous fan. Since 1980 to this day, okay. I've watched a lot of hoops. I've watched a lot with my team and a lot with a a lot of other teams. And I've seen it at the highest level. 
because I've seen Big East basketball, the 80s. That's like the highest level. That was premium shit, okay? And I watched it, and I ate it up, and I loved it. And I loved Pitt in that environment. And I'm telling you, there was nothing like it, nothing. Because as good as the Big East was in the 2000s with those Big East championships at Madison Square Garden and so on in the 2000s, you know, those were great games. That was great stuff. And those were really, really great times. But there's something about, you know, when we got our hands on Charles Smith and Jerome Lane. And then after that, before they graduated, got Sean Miller, you know, and Jason Matthews. That, it was just exciting. It was a very, very exciting time to be a college hoops fan. My point is this. Don't call me a homer, MFer. Don't you fucking. I'm just going to swear because I can't. It's a podcast. And I have an E on it, by the way. So I mark it. I mark it. You know, I warn you that I'm a, I have a potty mouth. I have a potty mouth. <laughs> Don't you fucking call me, motherfucker, a homer. Don't you tell me I'm disagreeing with the net because the net's telling me my team's not as good as I think it is, okay? I've been watching Big East and ACC basketball. I know good basketball. I know good basketball teams. I've also been watching the NCAA tournament. I've been watching other teams. I also follow Duquesne. My dad, you know, played, uh, went to school there and played for them uh, as a bench guy back in the day, back when they were good. You know, Duquesne used to be in the NCAA. Duquesne was a great school for college hoops. So I still follow Atlantic 10. I still follow Duquesne, too, by the way. You know, I'm into, I'm into what, the, what the dude's doing over there, Robert Morris. I wanted Pitt to hire him. I for, I'm forgetting his name now, the Yale guy uh, who's coaching over at Robert Morris. I think that guy's brilliant. You know, I, I wanted Jamie Dixon gone. I wanted them to hire him. When I, was, I, I love Jamie Dixon, too, by the way, but it was time to move on. I wanted to get the guy from Robert Morris. What is it, Tool? Andrew Tool, why am I forgetting his name? Anyway, uh, I'm telling you, this team is good, okay? I'm watching these games from the beginning, including the exhibition games. They're good. This is a talented team. This is a very good team. They're not a great team, but they're a very good team. They could absolutely make a run, but they deserve to be seated in such a way where they have a legitimate shot to get to the Sweet 16. Sticking them as an 8 or 9 seed or a 10 seed. Lenardi's new rankings has 9 still. He has Virginia above us, Duke above us, Miami above us. Why? Because of the net scores. That's why. Because of the quad rating net scores, which are faulty. And they're faulty because I have eyes. I have a brain. I'm a basketball fan. I see what Pitt has done. 20 and 5 since November 20th. 7 and 4 in quads, 1 and 2. If you need to use those quads, guess what? That's a pretty good record, 7 and 4 against the, the better teams since November 20th. I mean, and another thing, they would have played more quad 1 and 2 games if the net wasn't broken. The net is broken and it got skewed against the ACC from the early going, especially because of Florida State and Louisville and their pre conference lousy performances with blowout losses. It skewed the net against the ACC in terms of evaluating us in comparison to other conferences. And as a result, all of the ACC's net scores, or most of them, are stepped down from reality. 
And it's okay. Look, I'm not saying they're better than the Big 12. The Big 12 is the best conference this year. I'm saying they're, I think the ACC is as good as the SEC, and it's definitely better than the Big 10. I think that the ACC is the second best conference in the country this year on par with the SEC. I don't think the Big East is as good as the ACC, and I know the Big 10 isn't as good as the ACC. And no, we don't have a Purdue or an Alabama at the top of our rankings. We don't. We don't have a UCLA at the top of our rankings. They're turning into a really good team. We do not have a Kansas. We don't have one of those teams you can celebrate. But I'll tell you this. I think Pitt and every I think there are a lot of teams in the ACC that could beat the hell out of Texas and 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 Baylor and uh, you know all those teams. So you know, I, I think we have quality in this conference, and I think we have very good teams in this conference. And more importantly, you know, you watch the games, you watch the teams, all of them play. They're all talented. This is, this is fun. This should be fun. But this crap about the ACC stinks. Let's rank the ACC down. Let's step down. And so that the leader then, the team that's on top, they stink too. They stink, and let's have them be a, a nine seed. Joe Lenardi presently is has the ACC leader as a nine seed. 20 and five since November 20th, seven and four in quad one and two games since November 20th, nine seed, nine seed. Last year, using the same fucked up formula, Notre Dame finished tied for second in the ACC with a 15 and five record. Now, guess what Pitt will be? If they beat Notre Dame Wednesday and then lose at Miami, exactly, 15-5. and five. Guess what they're likely to be if they do that? Tied for first with Miami and Virginia. So, you know, 15-5, and five, they're likely with that record to be tied for first with Miami and Virginia, I think, uh, if they beat Notre Dame but lose to at Miami. So it's a very comparable situation. 15-5, and five, tied for second, 15-5, one game back. I mean, they were one game back, Notre Dame, by the way. 15-5 and five tied for first. Notre Dame was not ranked at all last year. Never ranked. Notre Dame's net was 43. Pitt just got ranked for the first time at the end of the year here. 25. Same. Notre Dame got votes. They got votes many times last year. Never got into the top 25. Pitt was getting some votes. Finally, top 25. Our net currently, what is it? 53 now, right? 53 versus theirs was 43. Now, what did, what did Notre Dame do in the ACC tournament? Okay, that was the one thing they did wrong. They lost their first game. They lost that first game. What did they get seeded as? What do you think? You guess. Did you give up? 11 seed Dayton. 11 seed Dayton. For the second place ACC team, 15-5 in conference. Because they lost that first game? I don't know. Maybe if they had won that first game, they'd have been a 10 seed. Last four, you know, buys. Maybe. But I don't know. 11 seed Dayton. They acquitted themselves very well. They won that game in Dayton. Then they went on and played the six-seeded Alabama Crimson Tide, and they fucking beat them. And they got a really good matchup to get to the Sweet 16. There had been an upset. They played the 12-seeded Texas Tech fuckheads, whatever the hell they're. (laughs) I do believe that Mean Joe Green went to Texas Tech. Oh, not Texas. Texas Tech? Am I right here? Yeah, yeah. Texas Tech. Or was or is it North Texas? North Texas. Oh, fuck. Now you're going to make me go look. Anyway, they played the team, the Texas team that Joe Green went to. Was it North Texas or is it, is it Texas Tech? Anyway, 12th seed last year. They lost. Notre Dame lost. 
So they didn't make it to the Sweet 16, but they acquitted themselves well. They won the bullshit game. They were screwed into playing. And then they beat the six-seeded Alabama Crimson shitheads. And um, that's going to happen to Pitt, folks. Now, you tell me. Pitt has earned a lot so far. I think they should be solidly a six-seed right now. And if they would split the next two games and lose in Miami, I think they should stay a six-seed. And if they go in and lose the first game in the ACC tournament, you want to drop them to a seven-seed and punish them for going out against uh, Wake Forest or something? I guess I, can't com- I wouldn't complain about that, you know? But a seven-seed. But no. Just like Notre Dame last year. There's a very real chance and risk that if Pitt splits the next two games, loses in Miami, and would happen to lose that first tournament game, they could be in a play-in game in Dayton, and that would be one of the most disgusting, outrageous injustices you've ever seen. Just open your eyes. Look, I've watched a lot of basketball. This is a very good team. It's absolutely one of the top 25 teams in the country. They should absolutely, absolutely, in my opinion, be seated right around sixth. And if they win out, they should be a four seed or a three seed at worst. But they won't be. My guess is even if they win out, they would be a six seed, maybe a five. They got, they got even Lenardi still has Virginia on the four line. Okay. You want to tell me if Pitt wins out, they don't at least replace Virginia on that four line? If they went out and win the ACC tournament, they should at least, for crying out loud, replace Virginia on that four line, that four seed line. But my confidence that that will happen is slim to numb. Instead, if they don't win at Miami and then they don't win at least one game, they'll be playing in Dayton. Mark my words. Why? Because they're relying on the net. And the net's calculation shows the ACC isn't very good this year. And the Nets' calculation shows that Pitt isn't very good. The Nets' calculation would have Pitt as what? A uh, 13 seed. (laughs) The Net would have Pitt as a 13 seed. You know, 12-13. So if you're believing in that garbage shit, then you're shitting on Pitt and the ACC. If you look into it and realize it's a bad calculation, which more and more people are agreeing to, if you realize it's not fair, then then you don't screw Pitt. But listen one more time. I'm going to say it again. I'm not saying the calculation's bad because it's obviously screwing Pitt this year. I'm saying it's bad because for the first time I delved into it because of Pitt. And I'm seeing what I believe to be a very flawed method of evaluating teams because of what it's including and obviously how much weight it is giving to it. Plus, I don't believe in the pre-reveal Basis. I don't know how they're calculating the net prior to them showing it to us for the first time on December 4th, but I don't believe it's being done appropriately because I don't believe Pitt got appropriate credit for its substantial now currently valued, very substantial wins at Northwestern and at North Carolina State. There's no way in how I believe they got proper weight for those and still opened up in the net at 80. Yes, I know they had a quad one loss at home to West Virginia. Yes, I know they had two quad two losses at a neutral site to Michigan and VCU. But I'm sorry. When you talk about those quad one and two losses and then you talk about those two quad one wins, that doesn't add up to an 80 net to me. I'm sorry. That math is funky. I don't buy it. So I don't know what basis they're starting from in November when they're calculating it, but it ain't good. And it's not working out. It's not balancing out. It's not evening, evening out in the end. Plus, then there's the problem that some people have pointed out that I agree with. You should actually wait later games more. You should actually wait 
those earlier games less. And here's why. Let me just add this and I'll go. Don't worry. I know. I go on. <laughs> those early games now, more than ever, should be weighted less. More than ever. Why? Because now, more than ever, every year teams are getting to know each other. You, you got the one and done freshman thing. Then you got the transfer portal thing. And now you got the new mixed in with the transfer portal, meaning even more in the transfer portal. So every year, you don't know who your team is. You don't know who it's going to be. And they don't, more importantly, they don't know each other. They have to learn each other. So those early games are absolutely more questionable in terms of what they are saying about that team. Because that team needs to learn each other and learn how to play together. And so you can't really judge what kind of a team they are as a whole until you give them a group of games to learn each other. So if you're weighting those games equally to the later games, you know, you're doing a disservice as to a, an actual credible evaluation of a team, especially of the team as they're going to step into a postseason tournament. You know, if you're, if you're giving equal weight to some losses in Brooklyn in early November as you are to, you know, whatever they do in this ACC tournament or whatever they do in Miami on Saturday, you, you are absolutely um, not giving enough weight uh, to, to what matters and you're giving too much weight to what's less important. And again, the, the change in valuation level of significance is increased more today than ever before because so many teams are new players every year. And let me say one other thing. Adam Crowley, again, a West Virginia fan, let's keep that in mind. He could pretend he's just being whatever, objective, but come on. Uh, he goes to buy tickets for a game dressed in West Virginia garb and he buys them at Pitt Stadium. You know, come on. So he says, I would just be so happy when you were picked 14th. Just enjoy the ride and shut your mouths. You're, you're ungrateful. You're the little engine that could is what he's basically saying. But again, wake up, G Jim Beheim. Wake up, uh, uh, Bobby. Oh, geez, why am I forgetting his name? I'm sorry. Sometimes I just blank these days. I'm getting old. The coach, the coach of West Virginia. Okay, the uh, Huggins, okay. Huggins and Beheim, they're, they're past their prime, okay. And so these people listening to them and acting like they know how to coach. Beheim's whining about the transfer portal. Uh, Crowley falling West Virginia is acting like Pitt should just be lucky they're winning this year. Don't you understand? This is the new basketball. This is the new college hoops, as Jimmy Beheim said. Each year you can go from four wins to 24 wins now, okay? You can also go from 24 wins back to four wins each year because each year it's a carousel of players now, okay? Look at North Carolina State. They did it. Look at Clemson. They, well, they were pretty good last year. They were much better. They didn't buy a team, as Jim Beheim said. They're using the transfer portal and nil, to whatever extent they're allowed to, to assemble a team and... They either do a good job of that or they don't. You can lament the quality of the game if you want to because that's reality, and Jimmy Beheim's doing that. But just learn to play the game as the rules are set. And so, Adam Crowley, we're not lucky to be here. This is the way it's going to be. We need to take the absolute greatest advantage we can of where we are right now today. You know, We're not going to have this same team next year. It, we could have a team where we stink next year. 
I mean, I know we have some talent coming back. We have some good recruits. But who knows what the chemistry is going to be like? Who knows how the team's going to fit together? So saying, hey, we're just happy to be here. We weren't supposed to be any good. Well, that's called, no, that's called, fuck the preseason ranks now. We live in an age where the preseason ranks are stupid because nobody knows. You spin the roulette wheel of the transfer portal and a, the ball falls and you don't know what that number means. That number is, well, that's the team this year. Let's see how they play together. So just because the people spinning the wheel said Pitt's 14th, they didn't fucking know any more than Jeff Capel really honestly knew. None of us knew, right? We thought maybe we like this player, that player. We like some of the talent coming in. Absolutely. And we liked some of the talent remaining. We thought Ugly was going to play, and we thought that was pretty good. We liked Dior Johnson. We thought he was going to play, and that was pretty good. So, sure, some of us could have predicted high teen wins, you know, uh, by virtue of the talent, and maybe even hoped that with the talent coming together, they could win 20 games. Sure. I think that's something some of us could have predicted. I didn't, but some of us could have. But don't tell me that because we were picked 14th by the coaches, that means we're just happy to be here. No. In today's culture, every year you could have this kind of turnaround. Every team can have this kind of turnaround. It's the new age. And the last thing you should do is be satisfied that you've turned it around. You've got to jump on this opportunity and get the most you can out of it. I mean, if Pitt can win a national championship this year with this team, you got to do it. Because you're never going to have this team again. If this team's good enough to win it all, let it do it now or forever hold your peace. Because you're not coming back next year, this team. We just, we just saw you and you're leaving us already. It's kind of depressing. But So don't give me this crap about happy to be here. That's dumb. If you're dumb like that, Adam Crowley, then go be dumb. If you're dumb like you know Jim Beheim whining about it, then go be dumb like Jim Beheim. The rest of us, we're smart. We understand the way the system works now. And no, we got to win while we have it. We, we got to take advantage of it while we have it. We may never see a team this good again. It may be 10, 15 more years at Pitt. It may be 20 more years. Maybe 50 more. Who knows? The next time Pitt will see a team this good again. They have a very good team. The net's not showing it. Fuck the net. You know? Until today, the ratings didn't even, the, 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 the rankings didn't even show it. Fuck the AP. Nobody knew. Nobody could see. They're not watching the games, you know? If you're watching the games you see, you know. You know hoops. You're not blind. You're not a yinzer. You're not a homer. You're a smart basketball fan. You see what you see, which is a very good team that has a chance of at least getting this week 16. It's a very good team could get to this week 16. So how about seeding us appropriately? Thank you. I love you. Yabba da boop 